0: It's Narrative Live with Zev Shalev here and Eric Garland. How are you, Eric? Doing great. You have a big update coming up about the Agape <laughs> schools, which we covered extensively, but there's a good update coming and a real reaction from a, an important politician in your state. So tell us a little bit of what we can expect on that.
1: Well, that this is not about one school, and that even the top echelon of the Missouri government and the Republican Party is admitting that the corruption at the state. And even local level is so great that our children are not safe without intervention directly from the federal government.
0: Wow. That's a hell of an admission. And Robert Buckland, one of the survivors of Agape School will be here. He'll talk to us a little bit about his reaction on that. But let's talk a little bit about what is not happening tomorrow. Cause there was an expected meeting on the Jan six committee, but it's not happening because of the storm hurricane Ian as barreling mm. towards Florida. So they've decided to postpone it until the 28th we'll be here to cover that as well but we still have a lot of good information about what they're intending to cover and we want to look at some of the really interesting new information that's come out about roger stone including these clips that are quite inflammatory They came from a danish mentor crew which followed stone for a long period of time they've just released their movie or about to release their movie the coming storm or the making of a storm or something we'll play some of the clips from that it's pretty eye-opening roger stone if you want to go back and look at this you can find our case for roger stone is probably broadcast a narrative on January the 13th or something like that. We already knew how important he was to this plot and uh, we had figured out exactly why he was so important. So uh, you can go back and Google uh, narrative live and the case for Roger Stone, and you'll see that that broadcast, but we'll review some of that tonight. So I guess we don't know to what extent this next committee hearing is going to be about Roger Stone, but I'm going to play you a couple of clips and let's start with this one from this documentary, which really blew my mind because there is some language here. And some predetermination, planning for this coup, which is quite explicit. This first clip comes from, believe it or not, June of 2020, before the elections. This is Roger Stone talking to the Danish documentary maker Christopher Guldbransen, and this, the movie is called The Storm Foretold. And here he is, Roger Stone, foretelling
2: what is going to happen. After the elections, what they're assuming is the election will be normal. The election will results. Oh, these are the California results? Sorry, we're not accepting them. We're challenging them in court. If the doctors show up at the electoral college, our guards will throw them out. I'm the president. You're not stealing Florida. You're not stealing all I'm challenging all of it. And the judges we're going to are judges I appointed. F- you're not stealing the election. That's what that basically we pushed did to Gore. So if they want to run a bunch of state ballots, we'll have an investigation, we'll see these ballots are be Your results are invalidated, goodbye, that's so the way it's gonna to have to look well, it's gonna be really nasty, well, but you cannot count on, we're not gonna get an honest election so let's say Trump is a little behind right now, which he probably is That doesn't bother me, but he if we win an honest election, we're gonna have an honest election They're gonna steal, they're in the white and to sort like hell So, well, it's not the first time that's happened in this country. it happens around the world, generally. So he's going to have to, he's going to have to fight for the prejudice in the chorus. Our next election will be decided in the chorus because they cheat and we don't cheat. They don't cheat. (laughs) They
0: just rig the system so they don't have to cheat. Go ahead, Eric. What's your reaction to that?
1: So Roger Stone is a great friend to dictators around the world who want to cast America's elections as illegal and invalid as theirs are. So he's carrying a lot of their water. Some of this stuff is so cartoonish. I wonder if he hasn't cut a deal with the feds and it wasn't just pied pipering all these various foreign operations to discredit America's democracy.
0: I agree with you that it sounds like he's got some sort of deal because otherwise, why would he be so outrageous about it? But I'll give you an answer for why he might be like that in a bit. But what do you mean by the pied pipering piece of it? Well, you really want to rip these networks out at the roots that have been
1: driving this towards this point where nobody believes in American democracy so that we'll prefer autocracy since we're going to get it anyhow. Roger Stone's a one of a kind. I mean, the guy's been around forever. He's seen much. He's partnered with, since the Nixon days, he's partnered with Paul Manafort, who has been all over the world and been a witness and an operative in so many different places. The bad boy of uh, politics, Lee Atwater. I mean, these guys were, they're not just operators, they're witnesses to
0: stuff. They're like one-man intelligence services in a lot of ways. They are, they're provocateurs, really. They really are the challenges in the system and they have been in their role since the 60s. I mean, this is what they do. And look, credit where
1: credit's due, these guys are smart. Roger Stone, say what you will about him. I mean, the guy crafts his message. He gets stuff done. He can bring people along with him. And so if I'm trying to rip out decades of intelligence operations to domestic and foreign that aim to rip up America's democracy and weaken us for our adversaries, I don't want to just take out the Roger Stones. I want to take out everybody that would fund this stuff, everybody that would go along with it, publish a newsletter, try and arm up people and give them gas money to get to DC to do this kind of thing. And maybe when your spokesperson is talking to the Danish, who are NATO allies, of course, a country that has its complexities, Danske Bank, of course, does a little bit of money laundering for the Russians here and there. Having a TV camera just proving exactly what these guys were Planning on doing. And I mean, there's no high this is, is not subtle trade craft.
0: No, but I gotta say the documentary crews are always a bit of a tell that something's afoot because if you're gonna be committing a crime, you generally don't want the documentary crews following you along <laughs> <laughs> to, to document the entire thing. But in two cases here, in his case, Roger Stone's case, but also in Tario's case, Enrique Tario of the Proud Boys, they've had documentary crews in the most unbelievable of places with the most unbelievable access to witness these criminal events taking place to me that begins to be a little bit like who's really paying these crews to do what but regardless these crimes took place and the crews were there to capture it and these guys took part in that crime whether they were doing it as informants we don't know we won't know but or well, maybe we will depending on what mar-a-lago's documents are released but I, just a couple of points to pick up on what you're saying yes it's entirely possible that roger stone is just trying to reel these people in although i think his anger there Boy, that seems quite real. And this was just the day before his initial court sentence was commuted by Trump. So it's a little, I think there was, he was under a lot of pressure and I think there was something going on there, but who knows, there might be a try to do a sting for these foreign organizations. I'm amazed by this collage of photos here because we speak a lot about Nixon and we speak a lot about Trump when we talk about Stone, but we forget about Reagan and Reagan was part of that Stone world. He was a big advisor to Reagan because Reagan is largely considered better. Than the other Republican presidents, he doesn't get the same brush as Nixon and Trump. But you know, really, Reagan did some terrible things as well. And uh, it would, you know who I don't see there. You know who is
1: Bush forty one? Ah, that's true. Just he, a thought. He was not he was not just part
0: of that group, was he?
1: He's of a bit of a, Bush forty one was of a bit of a different tenor. He was more of a CIA man. You know? he sure was more of a.
0: <laughs> and I would say. Roger Stone might be an Israeli guy. I don't know who he works for. He claims to be a Zionist. So, maybe he works for them, maybe he works for other people, but he certainly has a large roster of clients, including Saudi Arabia in the past, including Israel, including, you, know, you name it. He's had a lot of work for a lot of people, so. He's a talented guy and
1: uh, he knows a lot of folks. I just wanted to riff on the, having a documentary crew, yeah. you know who doesn't have a documentary crew like during the elections at this time of year. Hmm. Leonard Leo, <laughs> the Koch brothers, yeah, <laughs> very sight. The U lines, those guys, isn't it funny? Like, those guys, I would think Leonard Leo was uh, on the edge of his seat, seeing how that was all gonna go, but I don't think he had uh, high def cameras pointing in his face. So, whenever I see somebody that that's just their whole thing is. media i go this person is supposed to be the like the the ringleader
0: actually i want to drill down on something you just mentioned about leonard leo because he of course is the supreme court stack the stack the courts guy and in that clip we just saw from stone he talks a lot about it'll be our judges that we appointed that are going to go to adjudicate these things now of course that's exactly what's happening in the mar-a-lago case but it does sort of implicate the republicans in the senate who've been a uh, passing and approving all these judges and justices at a great rate, it does pull them into this conspiracy a little bit, because what he's saying is part of this conspiracy is that the courts is going to be where we decide this thing and who's deciding who's sitting on the courts, the GOP senators. So now we've got potentially the courts themselves entangled in a conspiracy judges entangled in a conspiracy and maybe the senators Supreme court justices perhaps? Supreme court justices who's certainly talking about citizens united and go back to reagan that's an interesting period of time where you can think about clarence thomas as a very different kind of guy when you think about uh, his wife's involvement but you know what i'm saying there's a bigger conspiracy afoot foot here it includes leonard leo it includes the koch brothers sure it includes roger stone and donald trump and all these other operatives but there are judges and there are people who appoint judges also apparently involved in this conspiracy
1: yeah, and the use of that word, our judges, that's a very specific possessive adjective. It suggests that somebody belongs to someone <laughs> else. Now, When you're appointed to the federal bench, it's a lifetime appointment, and the assumption is that we give you this job for life so that you are no longer looking for another job title that you are covered for the rest of your life and your decisions will get to go into the fabric of the judiciary for the future of the country. It's really an incredible honor to be put up there and how tawdry to be owned by some private citizens. I mean, I surely don't know who Roger was referring to, but you know, I mean, I would hate to be a judge owned by anyone, Roger Stone or Leonard Leo or
0: anyone. It suggests that there could be a real need for many of these judges to recuse themselves because they've been identified as being part of this conspiracy. And certainly this three Supreme Court justices they could probably find themselves needing to explain why they would even allowed to adjudicate any cases that are brought up in front of them for the elections. I mean, it's a reach, That's but really it's interesting. interesting. Yeah, it is interesting.
1: What if there were whole networks of corruption, like mm. in court staff and clerks and federal judges and appellate judges and we all on the way up to SCOTUS mm. and they really, re- they, what if the penetration had gotten so deep that they, some people who thought they could overthrow this country thought they could rely on that whole network down mm-hmm. from bottom all the way up through the top. And as he said, this look, this election isn't a real election. This election... Roger's really doing us a solid here if you're looking to clear out some judicial corruption. Because mm-hmm. he just said, and he's a witness to so much, he said the penetration of the American federal judiciary is to the point that people can overthrow our entire democracy
0: uniquely through the judges. Yeah, and that it's been planned that way i mean that's certainly what the federalist society has been doing it's certainly what the council for national policy has been arguing and has been in the field doing and we've seen their appointments i mean they've certainly appointed very activist kind of judges now there's nothing wrong with activist judges if they're fair but he's saying basically in this really historic event where we're going to try and steal the election and the democratic process from the american people we've enlisted judges and justices in this case and Leo's billions of dollars behind him make it possible that these guys have been bought off. Not unlikely. That's in fact what's been going on. I'm not sure how you deal with that, but it's it's a unique proposition. It would be, be interesting to
1: know who from May of twenty twenty through February of twenty twenty one, which of these insurrectionist leaders were talking overtly or back channel to which district courts which circuits of appeals, which Mm. supreme justice
0: spouses. All that's very interesting, right? (laughs) It is very interesting. Before we leave Roger, and there's a couple more clips I want to play from his uh, documentary there. He's right in the middle of this conspiracy. There's no doubt that everyone in January the 6th, like he was in the Mueller report, or should have been in the Mueller report, the very nexus of everything that was happening in 2016 related to the Russians, here he is also at the center of everything related to January the 6th whether it's the proud boys, which were among his security, the Oath Keepers who are security. He certainly wasn't involved in QAnon. He was right there alongside Alex Jones promoting everything in Infowars. The, the Women for Trump organization, the predecessor organization to the Women for Trump organization was actually run by his wife. That's how close he was to no, that. Really? Yeah. Well, his ex-wife, sorry, I should say. And of course he's right there with MAGA, like he's right there in the middle of everything there. So that might be real. It might be that he's in the middle of the conspiracy. It might be a ruse that he's in the middle of the conspiracy and the real plotting is taking place elsewhere. But it's an unusual thing to find someone so central to a historic crime as he is. And uh, we on Narrative have exposed many times him there with the Oath Keepers. You can see they were actually wearing an Oath Keepers hat. This was the day before January the 6th, when he was headlining a protest outside the Supreme Court. And there's other photos, of course, with him with these Oath Keepers, an unusual group of people to be associating with and all the way up to, including the day of January the 6th. We've now learned as well that he was in communication with Stuart Rhodes on the 19th of January, which is a little bit later than, uh, he was to the leaders of the proud boys that he, we know that, that he was talking to Enrique Tarrio on the 5th and the 6th of January. But now we also know that on the 19th, he was talking to Stuart Rhodes who went on trial today, if I'm not mistaken. His trial opened up today. They're doing, Wardier jury selection okay so there's a lot of interesting things still that we'll learn more i'm sure throughout this trial about what kind of activity Rhodes and stone and enrique tario and others were involved with when they were dealing with By the... uh, setting up january the sixth yeah By the
1: way, this, you've got the Chiron there reading, Yale grad. This is Yale's least
0: favorite (laughs) promotional material that they have in history. (laughs) I just had to note that because I was like, really, Yale? Thank you so much.
3: (laughs) It's really, man,
1: it's really important. There's a lot of people who have been to some of these elite schools that have been recruited into these terrible organizations that we think that they're supposed to denote a certain positive uh, association, but.
0: Yale grad, Stuart Rhodes. (laughs) Let's not forget the second part of that was former Ron Paul, which means he was right there with the Tea Party, which means he's plugged into the Russian network. The entire Tea Party was inspired by Ron Paul. Came out of Ron Paul's very good friendship with Russia. He went there many times, just like Rand Paul does. Here's another Roger Stone clip from this documentary from A Storm Foretold. This one is really critical. Pay attention to everything he's saying right here.
2: I suspect it'll be, I really do suspect it will still be up in the air. For When that happens, the key thing to do is to claim victory. Possession is nine tenths of law. No, we won. F- him. Sorry, over. We, yeah. You're wrong. F-
0: that is a really critical thing. And it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier on. This bravado that the MAGA movement has of always being right, of always winning, of always being certain of victory is an act. I mean, it's part of a cy war. It's, this is their posture in a cy war. And I'm not just basing that on my own thinking and analysis. This is something I've read recently in one of the documents that they have based their thinking on is there's an American side war document called mind war and mind war was a basis on which a lot of Flynn and stone had and, and this whole intelligence operation was using as a basis to recruit people and there's some quotes from mind war which are kind of interesting and mind war talks about the deliberate aggressive convincing of all participants in a war that we will win that war in mind war there is no substitute for victory we must instill a predisposition to inevitable defeat then it goes on to say that strategic mind war must begin the moment war is considered to be inevitable it must seek out the attention of the enemy nation through every available medium and it must strike at the nation's potential soldiers before they put on their uniforms it is in their homes and their communities that they are the most vulnerable to mind war so a this is predisposing that everything we're going through right now is a precursor to war but let's leave that aside for another day but what I am interested in is this bravado, in this absolute certainty that there is no substitute for victory, that there is an inevitable victory for Trump's side, which you will hear them. I'm always amazed at how confident they are. The higher the pressure, the more pressure there is, the more confident they appear to be. And maybe this is the truth of it. It's just a piece of strategic tactic within a strategy of the side war. I mean, this just reads to me like a
1: fifth grade book report on Sun Tzu's The Art of War. I mean, <laughs> <Could be. laughs> <Right. I'll say laughs> in line or there is no substitute for victory. Yes, winning is good. The deliberate aggressive <laughs> oh, so uh, cool. they, It must be in the mind of everyone. Yep. Yeah, that's called morale.
0: But they're saying that they need to instill it in the minds of their enemy. So in other words, you penetrate the yeah, enemy and demor- demoralize the yeah. other guys. And, and you yeah. convince the enemy that they're going to lose and yeah. you're going to win.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, Not it's new. Not, yeah, it's not new. <laughs> 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 but I love how these guys, they're like, they've discovered a, it's like anybody that they discover, like, what well, we're doing is, we've got secure communications and little groups and we use code words, it's like, Hey, yeah yeah look
3: this. This, this is line. an old document
0: yeah. <laughs> this is something that's publicly available i didn't get it through some secret <laughs> means it's it was originated in i think 2004 and then all the way up to 2014 wasn't really no one really used it except in the iraq wars they decided to use that and the problem is if you don't provide everyone the with what you're promising that you'll deliver breaks down so at some point soon their message is going to (laughs) collapse because they can only claim to be so victorious under uh, up until a certain point and then it becomes impossible to resist all the pressure that's coming up it's an attempt to wage war by
1: psyoping the american citizenry which we've done a terrible job uh, in our national security community of securing what i call cogsec cognitive security we have not done well at that of making sure that foreign propaganda does not reach our people. I was just reading an analysis of the budget of, was it the U.S. Information Service, and it was like five times the budget of every single like media company and PR company in America right now. It's like, we used to take this very seriously and then we got into cable TV and the internet, like, ah, just let every other country have at our population. Whereas other countries do not just give carte blanche entree to the hearts and minds of their citizenry. So we've really I fallen agree. down.
0: I that. agree. I mean, I think on that note, we still have, as a major network in this country, Fox News, which is clearly, as our investigation has revealed, is run by someone who might be compromised by the Chinese, our biggest adversary in the world. And that same adversary is penetrating the minds of many Americans to the point where we still have 30% of Americans in a new poll out today that said that they believe that Biden is in power because of fraud, that he is only the president of the United States. That's 30%. So that's still kind of stunning when you think about the control of our media operations by foreign entities, by, or at least people controlled by foreign entities.
1: Yeah, we got to do better at that. I mean, the truth has got to be funded as well as these crafted lies. And uh, that needs attention. And look, first, anytime you're trying to make a big shift in your life, you have to admit you have a prop, right? Mm. And we need to admit that our culture, it's amazing. We have Hollywood. We invented modern media. We invented the internet and commercialized it and we didn't figure out how to regulate it such that it couldn't be turned back on us at every level
0: and then we sold it to the chinese (laughs) that's the problem because they had lots of money and we like the money but i think it's interesting that he's saying possession is nine tenths of the law i think it's interesting that he's saying that claiming victory is the most important thing i think seeing their game is important and then maybe that's one of the things that we're getting out of this documentary seeing some of the strategies that they employ there so, if you're a historian, though, and you know about Hitler and you know about
1: Lenin, for example. Like, so do you know what the word Bolshevik means in Russian? No, I do not know what Bolshevik means. It means the majority. Oh, you know, the many. And then Menshevik would be the minority. Oh. The Bolsheviks were in reality a minority faction but they named themselves the majority, the majority. and yeah, i think they won they took power first by election and then just took over the whole apparatus and they didn't have any more elections and sounds just, just like MAGA. Control. well yeah, right and so hitler was a minority part of the government and attained that power through sheer violence with thugs like the ones you see roger stone talking to her like yeah we'll just punch people until they say we won sure That's how the brown shirts were formed as Hitler found these dudes who were PTSD from world war one, who were battle tested. These guys were tough nuts, man. Mm. A lot of those guys had survived world war one and they got back to a Germany that was humiliated and rural countryside. There's not a lot of jobs and there's drunkenness. If you see a parallel here and then Hitler goes and scoops up these guys who know how to fight pretty angry. Uh, they feel humiliated and he gives them a sense of purpose and, we make comparisons to Nazis, but if you study the rise of the national socialist party, they went to the polls and kicked the crap out of the candidates and beat people up who didn't say they were going to vote the right way. And we saw that where people started bringing guns around polling places. If history, you should get the joke of what that is. And it's Hmm. funny, Roger is just all about that script
0: yep and we could have
1: he's selling it to this new generation and they're and guess what it works you have these guys that know how to fight and i can't see into everybody's soul but maybe they need a sense of purpose and he's like i mean this is exactly what dictators do especially when they're getting a minority that has perhaps been oppressed they say you the germans were humiliated after world war one they were this very powerful nation they'd been blamed for the entire conflagration of the first world war of the great war when in reality it was very i'm not pro kaiser in this sense but the more you know about world war one and the more war one historians you talk to the fewer conclusions anybody comes to and unifies because you you had the russians and the you know what? what's going on the balkans the germans the french And, but Germany was really reduced in stature and they have all these people traumatized from the first modern war with all these horrible new technologies that been put out. And then modern media comes in for the first time with the films of Lenny Riefenstahl, and then radio broadcasts, and they start studying that. And, you know, these techniques get uh, developed kind of for the first time and they work really great in the Nazis. (laughs) And then what's so interesting is to see, this postmodern version of that where Roger or whoever he's working with. And I think Roger has been around long enough, he, he knows this stuff. I think mm. Trump does too, mm. that they are making these noises. They are saying the words. And we had this great stuff where you had Mike Flynn and this is the knock me out, but to see the cut between Mike Flynn reciting this script and some church lady from 1984 and a cult reciting the word, the word, the same thing. It's like, yeah, they found out that. That set of words just really entranced the English-speaking mind in America. It works. Do it again. Look, it works again. You get the sense Roger and Donald Trump and some of these guys—they're doing it, and they know
0: they they're doing it. Yeah, okay. you know, it's so interesting because you mentioned Roger Stone and getting this younger audience and then inciting violence like the Nazis did. Let's look
2: at this clip. Am <laughs> <laughs> the, the violence. The morning. Let's get right to the violence. Right. Shoot to kill. See him for CNN Tifa. Shoot to kill. We're done with this bullshit. The
0: fact of voting, the right to the violence, shoot to kill, whatever. He says he's joking. Of course, he's not joking. He's saying what he needs to say in order to incite violence and to entrench something in their minds. I mean, there is violence in the human heart, right? And
1: anyone who's ever felt frustration knows that you can be pushed over the edge. This is why we always have a very important role, not controlling free speech in this country, but being vigilant about incitement of violence, organization of violence, and then the more important things, funding and operations of not just inciting violence, but taking that next operational step to get somebody kinetically into say the capital of the United States, armed, financed. And I think that's the stuff that we're barely scratching the surface of what happened in January 6th. And the department of justice has said is the most complex and widespread investigation in the history of the department of justice, 150 Mm -hmm. years. When you think about what's the criminal culpability of somebody who intentionally just sent cryptocurrency to some people who were on a chat board talking about how they want the They want to get them Antifa's what's the criminal liability of somebody that put up cryptocurrency to hide the fact that they were going to give gas money to these guys so they could drive from, I think the sign said Columbus or wherever they were coming from. Mm. Maybe they're in Indiana. Let's say they're going to finance the trip from Indiana To D.C. so they can get to the Capitol steps and break a window. Mm. What's the criminal liability there? It's probably something in our system. And that happened, there were like tens of thousands of actions like that.
0: And those Um, are just the domestic ones. What happens on the international front and how much counterintelligence work is being done to neutralize all those right now. I mean, we're just in the middle of this. We haven't even got to the big act yet. I don't think we're there yet. The other big thing that happened this week was Denver Riggleman. He's a former congressman was on 60 Minutes, much to the chagrin of many of the people on the January the 6th committee. And
4: when you have the White House switchboard and certain other cell phone numbers connected to Bianca Garcia, that is a link that needs to be investigated. The thread that needs to be pulled is identifying all the White House numbers and why we have certain specific people, why they were talking to the White House.
3: Specific White House phone records are kept secret to protect every administration. But in his book, The Breach, Riggleman wrote he begged the committee to push harder to identify numbers that showed up on the monster. I was
4: one of those individuals, sadly, at the beginning where I I was very aggressive about these link connections, getting those White House phone numbers. Did you express those concerns to the committee at the time? Yes. What was the response? The response was, go forth and just do the best you can with the resources that we have.
3: Riggleman requested $3.2 million, but only received a fraction of that. His team furrowed into the data. The mother load dropped into their laps. Not just phone records, but more than 2,000 actual texts to and from Mark Meadows, former President Trump's chief of staff. There were numbers, but no names. So, Riggleman told us, his team made a giant spreadsheet, painstakingly identifying the people behind each number. And when they did... They were privy to the real-time thoughts of Trump family members, former cabinet secretaries, members of Congress, conspiracy mongers, even a Supreme Court justice's wife. You've called the texts from President Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, the crown jewels. Why? It was a
4: roadmap. It showed actually the evolution of the beginning arguments from alternate electors all the way through rally planning, all the way to day of. It showed conspiracy theories. It showed the saturation of QAnon. How'd you get them? He gave them up. Do you think it was a mistake? If you go back to the simplest explanation, I think he wanted to give up some of his text messages. By the way, I got it. This is a caveat. We
3: don't know if we got them all, but what we got is pretty valuable. You have said these texts provide irrefutable time-stamped proof of a comprehensive plot at all levels of government to overturn the election. Irrefutable. Early in the text messages, they
4: were talking about alternate electors. I think as soon as November 5th or November 6th, right off the bat, come on.
0: Right off the bat. Who's this guy again? Former Congressman, Denver Riggleman, I believe is his name. He was a technical expert for the January, the sixth committee. He wasn't, uh, he didn't stay on the January 6th committee. He's, he's a bit of a rift between him and the committee. He wrote this book. I don't think it was authorized by the committee to write this book, but in it, he makes some interesting claims amongst them. The name you heard at the beginning by Bianca Garcia. She's the head of Latinos for Trump. In that first scene, in that clip there, you saw that huddle, that famous huddle with Cleta Mitchell and Enrique Torres and Stuart Rhodes that happened the night before in an underground garage in Washington, DC. Well, Bianca is there. She's the fifth person in that huddle. So he's saying, why don't we know more about her? And that's a good question. We don't know much more about her and maybe that's worth tracking down. The other claim that he made during the interview is that someone called from the white house to the insurrectionist for nine seconds at 4 30 that afternoon, that turns out to be kind of nothing that turns out to be just a, who knows why that person called the insurrectionist. But I was intrigued by the fact that there are all these calls clearly coming out of the white house. And we've been discussing where was Donald Trump during this whole time? If he says he wasn't watching TV and he wasn't doing any of these other things that everyone else says he was, where was he? And we've thrown around the possibility that maybe he was in a bunker. Maybe he was in a little control center with these other co-conspirators over there. It's quite possible that's still the case. We haven't seen enough of evidence to know exactly where he was on that day. But so I'm intrigued by all those things. I'm intrigued by knowing who phoned whom from the white house. And it's, I think it's important to learn more about that. And if there was direct communication from the white house to the insurrectionists, as many have speculated, some people have said there was a ghost signal. Someone called from the white house or in another way, gave them a ghost signal to actually do what they needed to do at the Capitol. That's all possible we just don't know yet enough about whether that's all that is true so that's who this guy is
1: well so he had a company that he was an nsa contractor and now he runs a whiskey distillery and this is the chance this was the congress's jan six committee right yes okay so and this is a really big case right really important case there's a lot of forensics behind this. This is a congressional committee. They don't necessarily have all the analytical tools of the FBI at their disposal. But, you know, They're using subpoenas to get stuff, right? Yeah. And Mark Meadows just gave stuff up. If you know anything about really verifying the forensic details behind digital communications so that they're not spoofed, you'd be surprised at what is even passing muster in federal court these days. There's some fake contractors out there who are spoofing data. And it is hard. It's really hard work to discern some of these things. Absolutely. Um, You know. I think all that did was... there's a intelligence and there's intelligence and there's law enforcement investigations. Anyhow, this is so big. I just feel uncomfortable about trying to tell this story without all the details. Mm-hmm. And this is a story that needs to be told once and very carefully. And somehow, I don't think Mark Meadows is the grand wizard here who conjured this whole thing. I get that you can maybe see from what's been handed, oh,
0: look. Like, I think they're trying to make him out to be that. I think there is a huge effort to make him out to be the scapegoat. I mean, I believe he's flipped. I don't see any way he would not flip because he's under so much scrutiny. And he's so clearly the fall guy for both the Fulton County case and also January the 6th that he's sort of caught in between so uh, much. He's he's the fall guy. He's a
1: Congress critter from North Carolina that couldn't get out of the game. Yeah. And kind of had to go be the the White House chief of staff
0: late. In the game i mean he's not the it? guy that it should be falling in my opinion because i don't think he has much of a i don't know if he's a, his agenda was so ideological as much as he was just the guy he was just the guy stuck in the place maybe he does have a background in being inclined to fascism but i don't know if that's him i read those thomas texts with great interest i certainly think that she's a much more of a proponent of ideology than he was he seems to be the receiver of a lot of this stuff
1: i mean the real technical details out there while a real department of justice investigation is going on. You want to have the element of surprise on a lot of those folks so that when you do pop them with, Hey, we're uh we well, you get a target letter in, and you say that, uh, which you send to this, let's say they send Jenny Thomas, a target letter saying, mm-hmm. hi, your stuff is in front of a grand jury, which you didn't know about until right now, you got about 48 hours, so if you got an attorney, send one over. And the attorney meets and goes look so how do you want to do this because this is what we got and this is what we're probably going to do so do you want do you want to start talking now or do you want us to put out an indictment all that's very element yeah. of surprise that's why grand juries are secret so that people's reputations are harmed in case they don't charge right i think
0: meadows appeared in front of one today believed to have appeared in one in Fulton county to believed that's that was the date he was meant to appear so one assumes he was there and then one assumes he gave." testimony in a case that really would make him one of the co-conspirators but it seems to me that he's going to be just a witness not an actual suspect in this investigation which is interesting that he probably has flipped there and that's why he's cooperating
1: or he just agreed or he just decided not to be a pain in the ass about it and he went (laughs) like there's there's this thing of like steve bannon shakes his fist screw your congressional subpoenas and keep your FBI thugs off me, all acting all tough. They're all oh, cry God. when the U.S. Marshals pin him to the ground.
0: Although, in this case, I also find it really interesting that he handed over all the same documents to the DOJ with sort of not much of a request. They just sort of handed them over. There does seem to be a deal that he's worked on, and I, he'd be the right guy to go after it.
1: Hold on. If you're in it. that kind of
0: hot water, the DOJ does not need your permission. Yeah, before but he just did. He didn't have a mask. They just they said... He, they didn't need to be forced to ask. They just get, he handed it over. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know.
1: Oh, it's, if they ask you for your stuff, it's good for you to play along, but they usually know what they're asking for before you hand it over.
0: It's, it's all the, in the nexus the- of a lot of communication. There is a nexus. I mean, certainly if you want to see who is in touch with whom. The Trump's cell phone records are not out there and we do not know even if he can work a cell phone, I assume he can, but the reality the, of it, a lot of the communication came through meadows.
1: Hold on. Oh, I got to spooks explain Is this a, one? Okay. Normally okay. a president wouldn't have a, a cell phone on him, but this is not a normal presidency or a normal group of people. Everybody was covered in these unsecure, stupid devices mm. that like <laughs> 94 countries could listen in on. Like there is somewhere like the world's worst podcast. Yeah, (laughs) of of Um, like 10 straight days of these idiots
0: just yammering and treasoning
1: annoying (laughs) each other and sneezing and I mean it's the world's worst podcast oh
0: Um, my gosh it really is as always if you'd like to support us you can join our Patreon program at patreon.com forward slash narrative and if you're watching on YouTube please hit the subscribe button so you can always be reminded of when we're broadcasting have a good night Eric and have a good night everybody Every minute of Narrative's reporting, every story that we break, is made possible by our patrons. You too can become a patron by joining at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Narrative, where
1: truth lives. One day, you'll tell the story of autocrats, crooks, and kings who came for our freedom. A story of citizens who stood up to tyranny, and won.
4: The people prevailed,
1: and renewed an old vow to a more perfect union.
4: And that was just the beginning. The story continues. narrative
3: where truth lives